Welcome to Dr. Three, a Hearthstone podcast dedicated to giving you explosive growth and climbing the standard rank ladder. I'm your host, Daring Alkaline, and along with me are my fellow hosts, Dragon Rider and Major Death. So, this is a special one. Um, we got to interview senior game designer Alec Dawson from the Hearthstone team. Uh, we... Um, we cover metaphor, uh, Darkman races, meta philosophy, and when to make balance changes, among other topics, and briefly touched on some of the new announcements for Year of the Griffin. So, I hope you guys have as much fun with it as we did recording it. All right, so we have a special guest. Uh, we've all been very, very excited about this. Uh, Mr. Alec Dawson, how are you doing, sir? Hey, yeah, I'm excited to be here today. How y'all doing? Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. So let's just hop into it. We have a lot of ground to cover and <laughs> only a, a tiny bit of your your precious time. So <laughs> so we just yeah. wanna we to just rush into it and go look at Dark Moon races to start off. So the mini set has been out for a couple weeks now. We ran a poll that said over seventy percent felt like the mini set had changed at the meta. Are you happy with the impact Dark Moon Dark Moon races had on the meta? I mean, definitely. I think when we look at, you know, a 35-card set or a set that's, like, a little bit smaller in terms of what the mini sets are in size, we wanted to shake things up, you know. And I think that's our whole intention here is halfway through an expansion's release, what we've, what we've you know, noticed over the years is, hey, like, expansions are really awesome, really fun to come in, but, you know, two to three months in, things can start to get pretty stale in terms of, oh, it might be the same decks over and over again, which it doesn't mean it's bad gameplay. It just means it's a little bit repetitive, right? So, you know, coming in there and being able to you know, really shake things up with this injection of cards is, I think, really good for the players overall. It just creates a whole new environment. So I think, yes, we were, we were very happy with Darwin Races. We thought it was going to be, you know, pretty impactful too. There's, there's definitely some interesting cards in there. And yeah, it's been a good uh, mini expansion for us so far. I think I, I definitely ha have enjoyed playing it since the new cards came out. Uh, I'm curious, though, there's been some good cards. There's been some bad cards, I think, as, you know, the the community tends to label these things. Uh, I'm curious, mm -hmm. from your point of view, are there some cards that have been better than you expected them to be going into uh, release or on that same reverse token, something that hasn't worked as well as you thought it might. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I think one card that we knew was going to be pretty good, maybe didn't expect to see it as good as it has been in terms of how many decks it's been appearing, is probably Crab Rider. You know, we knew Crab Rider, like, just the stat line's pretty good. But, yeah. I mean, you know, seeing it pop up in some of, some of the Maroc Paladin decks and seeing it pop up as just a two-drop and a bunch of other stuff, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, there's definitely a lot of power here. I think Armor Avenger is probably going to see more time in the sun as you know time goes on. It's just a pretty powerful anti-aggro tool if you do need that that life gain. I think we'll probably see more Armor Avenger later. We've seen a little bit of it, but I think we've probably felt there would be more of it. And then Moonfane, I think these probably another one. It's like Moonfane's, you know, if the right meta for Moonfane comes about, Moonfane's a pretty hard card to remove, right? So we'll, we'll see if Moonfane, you know, gets gets some more spotlight as well. 
That's interesting. Well, talking about specific cards too, uh, you asked Twitter what their favorite card was from Dark Moon Races, but unless we somehow missed it, we didn't see yours. So what is your favorite card from Dark Moon Races? What is my favorite card from Dark Moon Races? That, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I think a card like Guidance is pretty cool. I think a card like Resizing Pouch is pretty cool as well. Yeah, I, I like those. Uh, you get to play a little Trixie. I think Resizing Pouch, it's it's more interesting if there's you know more zero mana stuff you can do and or there's things that specific mana cost you want so i think you know when we look at hunter possibly in the next expansion maybe they'll have some zero mana cards that you might want to get and then it creates a new dynamic for the card so that card will change slightly in terms of where there's a smaller pool of cards at specific mana cost where your class cards have a better chance of appearing right and it'll change how you sort of interact with that card so i think that's one of my favorites just because how it can change over time I'm, I'm interested to see how that is after Zephyrus leaves standard as well, because I think that might change a little bit. But um, you know, kind of looking at how different is it for card design and like the thought process that goes into that for cards which are included in the core set versus is there like a different thought process or design process for a regular expansion? Uh, and is there a specific card that you had a favorite that you worked on? Yeah, that's yeah, a good question. I, I think there wasn't always uh, too big of a difference. I think, like, when you look at, like, 16 to um, Galakron's Awakening, you look at uh, Darkman Racers, I think we were really trying to make sure we had stuff that was exciting. Uh, you know, it's a limited carpool, so you really want to make sure you're pushing certain areas, whereas with a larger set, you have a few more opportunities to do so. I think one thing, though, that we've been trying to do is sort of look at these sets be like okay how can we capture anything from the whole year and i think that's been a really fun experiment for us and then what we're going to be doing in the future is not only looking back at you know previous mechanics i think we'll also be saying how can we expand on those mechanics how can we make them look at you how can we make the players look at them slightly differently than before so you might have a you know say we might have frenzy in the upcoming expansion and then how can frenzy be a little bit different and whatever the mini set is right so th those are some of the things we're thinking about how to add maybe a little bit of complication but just make you look at the uh, mechanic or the keywords in a different light now that's two to three months that you've had a bit more time experiencing them right i liked how exciting it was with the as we're recording this the reveal of the core set today there was Lots of feedback, yeah, lots yeah, of yeah. discussion, and <laughs> and and I think that like going forward, that's definitely one more thing we have to look forward to is every year is what is this core set now going to look like, and and how does that change things up? So I I, I like that actually quite a bit, but I want to talk about one of the other things that's being implemented as part of uh, Year of the Griffin and the new expansion Forged in the Barrens, which is spell schools. I mm -hmm. I think both Dragon Rider and I were like taken back. We were like, oh my goodness, we're you're you're changing how spells work. This is kind of kind of weird. I, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about how that came about, you know, maybe how long you've been in the process of thinking about this. What are some of the most excited or what things are make you excited about this change or and what sort of things can we expect because of this change? And finally, since I'm sure you played with this a little bit internally, how, how has it felt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's a, a lot to it. It wasn't the first time 
that we actually talked about spell skulls as a team. Um, it's been brought up a few times since I've been on the team. You know, it was never really the right opportunity, the right time. I think when we look at where in a year cycle it's supposed to come out, I think the start of the year is really when something like that, a big more big broad change. I think that's best placed at the beginning of the year. Sure. Now, with spell skulls in particular, we actually for a bit we were deciding between well, was it going to be spell skulls? Or was it going to be like specializations? Because we didn't know how we wanted to look at, say, warrior um, or classes that are much more physical and how we could maybe incorporate some of their specializations into this as well. So for a bit, we were, you know, going back and forth about what they, that may be and, and how we would uh, make the decision. Do we have, do, do would we have physical spells? Do we do any like martial type stuff? Uh, I think at the end of the day, though, we decided the, the thing we want you to key off of is the art itself. You know, do you see fire magic? Do you see frost magic? Do you see fell? Do you see nature? And that should be your indicator, just like on minion types of how to recognize what type of spell this is, but even without even having to read it, right? And so I think early on, it was definitely like, oh, wow, a bunch of stuff has tags now. What does that feel like in Hearthstone? But as you know, as we played for a week or two, and it's like, oh, well, this feels like normal Hearthstone. You know, it feels, <laughs> it feels like something that's just kind of been there. And, and it adds just a small thing. Uh, but mechanically, there's so much space for us, right? Because yeah. now we get to we can make holy deck, holy paladin decks, holy priest decks, right? Or shadow priest decks. And then we have that spell tag to you know hook into, just like we can make a bunch of tribal decks. So I, I think it's actually offering us a ton of space. And you will you'll you'll see those decks throughout the year for <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's good for us. Yeah, it's been really really good. So yeah, that's. So it sounds like it's going to be very intuitive, the, all those different spell schools that are coming down the line. So um, That's the intention, yes. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. So we just want to shift uh, about to like meta philosophy and my my personal question was what is what is the biggest challenge you find designing a game that function on asymmetrical balance? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest challenges is you have to recognize that there are going to be things that some people want to be more powerful than, than some others don't want to be as powerful. And what we, we have to stay true to what we think is the healthiest and best experience that you know we're intending. I, I think that's something when we step into a balance role where you can easily sort of look at, oh wow, the, people are saying we should nerf this or nerf this, but you know you have to really you know trust trust your team and trust your instincts on what is going to be the best Hearthstone experience, right? Um, I think for us, uh, thinking about sort of the biggest challenges that we've had this previous year um, is the moments where what when do we sort of stop, right? We we've done so many balance changes this year, and it wasn't by necessity; it was more because we wanted to see how what that would do. And we felt like we could. Uh, we felt like we could come in and we make some changes and keep things refreshed over and over again. And, and we thought there's been a pretty good response to that. And wh wh where's that place where we're like, actually, you know, what's what's not doing here? You know, what's your reasoning there? Um, so it's been one of those things we've been trying out for quite a while. We've, you know, we've had some things that we think we wouldn't do again, um, and we've had some things that we would definitely do again. I think one in particular. I wouldn't call this necessarily a mistake, but I think we might have had a slight philosophy shift since. Is you look at something like uh, Bran, like uh, Diamond Team of Bran, right? 
And we nerfed that card, you know, out of precaution. And maybe it was the correct nerf, right? But it was a very low play rate deck. And say we don't even nerf Dantamer Brand, does Highlander Hunter really start to dominate the meta and start to be this deck that is wildly played everywhere? I don't really think so. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I, I think it still probably ends up a low play, low play rate deck, and that's okay. So I think that's probably one that we, looking back on it, we might have done differently, right? We, we went and said, you know what? Hey, if it's a low play rate deck, we think it's going to be good. Let's see the interest there of the player base, you know, rallying their support behind that deck. Because decks like that and decks like Even Paladin in the past just haven't actually been played uh, as much as they should have been, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's one uh, one thing that sticks out. Like, you know, uh, that's probably something we learned this previous year that we may do a little bit differently in the future. Well, uh, you know, just anybody listening, don't worry. I got y'all covered. I've played enough. (laughs) It's true. And uh, I also played a lot of even Paladin when that was a thing. So I like I like where that mentality's at. Maybe maybe I'm doing the right thing. Uh, but you know, one thing yeah, talking yeah. about kind of decks and and archetypes is you and and the team maybe as a whole. You think it's better for classes to have uh, like a ladder viable deck uh, or several classes that have two or more decks or would you rather have like one or two classes that just don't have any, like, you know, do you want classes to have multiple decks that are all ladder viable or do you kind of like that where, you know, maybe let's just say Hunter and Paladin, because you just said those, you know, are are a little bit more dominant. Yeah. I, I I think, you know, it's a variety of of the States um, is, you know, you don't always want to be in the same state, but, sort of answering your questions like one by one. I think, yes, it is ideal for you to come into Hearthstone and you play a certain class and that's your favorite class. It's ideal for you to have a deck that's at least going to be somewhat competitive, right? You know, it can be tier two, it can be tier three maybe, but we want it to be somewhere. We don't want you to be stuck with a deck that's just like tier five and non-existent. Um, it doesn't mean every deck, every class needs to have something that is you know, tier one, whatever that tier, that might be even hard to do if they're all going to tier one. No, nothing's really tier one, but, uh, but, you know, it doesn't mean it always has to be good, right? But, you know, something that you can at least play and have a good time, have a good experience. But at the same time, I think there's also interesting things about diversity there too. And not, not that you could, you know, diversity, uh, some people think of just being blanket good, right? And it is good. You know, it's good that there's a variety of things you can come and play, but it's also good Sometimes when there's like healthy decks that are at the top of the meta that you can specifically target in, in, actual, in a functional way and then feel smart about your deck building decisions too, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think metas like that are okay too because the player can come in and make their own choices about how they want to target the meta. So I wouldn't say it's, it's you know, as you know, black and white is like, no, this is always the best type of meta. Uh, you know, different metas contribute towards different player types and sort of what they're looking for. I think if it, there's a meta where you can't feel smart because you're of your your deck building skills, I think don't think that's as su- successful either. You know, we want to be able to have that you know incorporated into whatever the meta is too. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's really interesting. I guess I always assumed that there was, you know, an ideal meta state that you would kind of try and strive for, and and I suppose it makes a lot of sense if it kind of shifts and ebbs and flows a little bit and 
obviously you don't necessarily want to have a class that has that tier five deck, but because of that shifting and, mm -hmm. and movement, sometimes that's going to happen. And hopefully the next set of cards or the next set of balance changes or something is going to kind of address, hopefully address some of that. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So, so there's been uh, a fair amount of discussion about weapons during Year of the Phoenix and uh, those weapons driving the success of certain classes. I'm thinking of Rogue and Warrior and Demon Hunter specifically. Mm -hmm. And uh, when these sets are being designed, do you, did you expect for them to have as much uh, impact as they've ended up having during this year? And do you think the power level of weapons themselves just kind of as a function needs to come down so that classes that don't have access to weapons aren't in as much of a disadvantage. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, we definitely expected some of the weapons to have a pretty big effect. You know, you look at cards like Ankar or Wrench Caliber, or even, you know, going back to this year, Box Spine Knuckles, where there's a lot of what this deck does. Its main function is printed on that weapon, right? So it right. drives some of the <laughs> Part of the engine of the deck right mm -hmm. um I, I think though sometimes it's obviously been too heavy uh with box spine um and i think overall though there's probably just needs to be more varied weapon removal available to you or even more varied anti-aggro tools or defensive options i think that's something we're definitely looking at in the next year to add more defensive options in neutral for say if you know if you feel like you're getting beat down by one of these weapons you know and it's doing much damage to you you have a, a really strong defensive tool whether it be you know something that says hey i'm gonna put up this taunt you're gonna have to go through that first right so that's something i think we could have done better this year and in the next year we'll definitely be trying to add more options uh, on that line so moving on uh what in your mind is a good card I often think about how playable on ladder it is, but I'm sure that's not the only definition. Interesting effect, potential for memorable game game slash outcomes. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a bunch of answers, um, mm -hmm. but the way <laughs> I usually think about it when <laughs> designing a set is the identity space of a card, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you look at all 135 cards. Um, and how they overlap with anything that's currently in rotation or how they stand apart from anything. If I think if everything has its own space that it can stand in and you can look at a card and say, this is this card's purpose, whether that be flavor or mechanical purpose, and it is unique to anything else that I currently have at my disposal. Uh, that is the way I usually look at it. It's like, okay, I'm thinking about this card. Does it do something crazy like uh, Jandis Barov? Or is it just a piece um, where it can be, this is going to be my armor game with armor vendor. And that's just the piece I need to be able to do this thing. Um, so that identity space, I think, is key to saying, you know, does it achieve the design goals that we're, we're intending? Uh, but, you know, once it hits live, I think that's a, the answer to that question <laughs> may totally change, right? Exactly. Uh, once it hits live, is it fun? Is it fun to play with? Is it creating healthy game experiences? Uh, is it seen any play at all? <laughs> like, uh, those are the things, you know, we, we tend to look at too. Um, yeah. Because you could, yeah, yeah. I, I think that about sums it up. Okay. 
I uh, so one card that uh, I'm not sure if it would be considered good, but it's definitely been really powerful over since its time in the game, and that's Risky Skipper. A lot of talk has been dedicated to that, even on our show, talking about how it uh, could have been changed at some point since it, since it was introduced in Galakrond's Awakening. I'm curious from from your from your take. Can you talk about when a card goes from powerful and fine to overpowered and needing to to be addressed with a balance change? Yeah, I think it's um, you know it's also about where that deck is. You know, uh, card that go went from probably fine to overpowered and need a balance change uh, of recent memories box and knuckles right mm-hmm. where suddenly we had a deck with evolved shaman that was really producing a lot of sets on the board it turns that we were no longer comfortable with and and if you look at earlier before it wasn't really doing that until it gathered some new tools um and was able to recruit you able to tutor out the weapon a lot more efficiently than previously things like that where Suddenly, the play rate of the deck and the win rate of the deck shot past where we were, um, you know, where, where we liked to line it up. Um, same with High Abyss Alora. <laughs> you know, I think <laughs> for a while she was she was skating by um, at, at four mana there, but then there's a deck that that took advantage of her that placed Tinted Scales on, say, maybe turn four, <laughs> even even early, yeah, even early, uh, you know, go all the way in, you you could, but plays that on you know turn four or five right and suddenly it's like oh she's no longer healthy um and for for those particular things you know we, we tend to look at not only the feeling of the the card but it's also the win rate of this card in particular things like that but i think it's it's really about there's probably a lot of cards in waiting that that could happen to right and it's really just waiting for the time for those synergies to come together for those decks to you know flourish and reach a population percentage where, oh, hey, we're no longer comfortable with this being one of the main ways that you engage in Hearthstone, right? And I think that's, hap- that's, that's typically what happens when, you know, when nerfs occur. <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see a lot of, I think at least a recent memory, you'll see more of those and you'll see just pure power things because a card like Rusty Skipper was very powerful, right? But that deck, we felt the play patterns were really good. Um, pretty high skill cap deck. It was always kind of kept in check. In terms of like, it was never going to be too widespread or too powerful, and it did a solid thing for the meta in particular, where it was the check to everything that maybe a bit more aggro um, oriented, right? You, you you knew that you had an option where if you wanted to beat those decks, you could go play Risky Skipper. Okay, so here's a good one. So you revealed on Twitter that you pitched Oh My Yog as a hunter secret way back in Rise of Shadows. <laughs> How did the card evolve from that pitch to the card that made it to the Dark Moon Fair? I think, yeah, I'm trying to remember if it got pitched in between those times. Uh, yeah, it didn't really fit Rise of Shadows in terms of the mm-hmm. flavor, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it also wasn't very good at two mana. Uh, two mana, I, mm-hmm. I think it might be the, it may be the correct cost, like for what we normally view as, hey, there's a lot of randomness baked in here, but it doesn't feel great to pay two mana for either. But when it came back to, you know, we're going to do Darkmoon Fair, it's like, 
hey, maybe we do a Mayak again. And uh, <laughs> kind of put in the sheet. We saw it happen. It just kind of it, it hung in there. It stayed around. And uh, I don't necessarily, you know, looking at, is it a Paladin thing? No, but it matches like what we're doing for that set. And it matches the cost of what we're doing, right? It's like, that is a one mana secret in, in, in our view, at least. So yeah, uh, it was pretty cool to finally see that card come to light and, you know, see people try to complete that achievement. Uh, I'm sorry. That was probably too hard. But, uh, <laughs> that achievement is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, that I'll, achievement. I'll, I'll talk to Celeste about that. But yeah, that's a, a pretty brutal one. It's a brutal one. I, I like that a card that you pitched way back when ended up finally getting in the game. That's got to feel very cool to be, to, to kind of just go from, point a to point b across even if it took some time like that yeah and it happens quite a bit you know <laughs> we'll just <laughs> we, we scrap a bunch of cards throughout you know, making our set so we'll have to always come back like this card's really cool but doesn't fit right now and then mm -hmm. you know a year later maybe someone's looking through the the files of the past it's like wait why did you do this card and it's like <laughs> let's, 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 let's do it now a transfer student was it was a card just like that actually um, originally pitched in Ungoro. And, wow. Uh, I think uh, might have been Peter at the time. And I was going back through the Ungoro sheet and I was like, wait, this is cool. I, I want to use this in Skullamance. <laughs> and, then, and then we did it. Yeah. That's awesome. That is very awesome. So I, I want to talk about uh, the developer insights that you've been sharing on Twitter. I, I have to say, as far as like, in thinking and talking about balance changes, having that insight that, that, that you've been providing uh, just from the team's perspective uh, was really, really great to see. And, and I noticed that, and, and it was commented that it ended up in the, in the blog or the patch notes that came out this time. And so I, I'm curious what made you start doing it and uh, Please tell me it's not going anywhere. Or it's going to just find its way into the blog posts or the patch notes going forward. Yeah, yeah. It will definitely be up there whenever we make some balance changes. Uh, we'll, we'll put them up on the blog. I think one thing, you know, I think the whole team just wants to be better about communication right now. You know, you see... You see Dean every week going and doing his, you know, Q and A's every week. Uh, yeah. I read them too. I'm like, what did my yeah. boss say this week? <laughs> let, me, let me check. It's at seven o'clock. Got to go back through and see what Dean said this week. Um, but no, I, I think the whole the whole team definitely wants to be, you know, communicating as much as we can because you know we all love this game and we just want to make it as good as possible. And I think part of that is interacting with the community as much as we can too. Love that you're doing yes. that. I, so I love cool. that he started doing that. That was yeah. so yeah. unexpected that first week he did it. And and uh, I, I honestly, when he said that Wednesday rolls around and he doesn't have a reason not to keep doing it, I, lo <laughs> I loved that he said that because it's like that means that he's get. I, I, I assume he's getting something out of this, too. And uh, love just love getting it, it, it's something to talk about with regards to the game and it, it creates conversation and, and just, I think helps build excitement about the game. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of funny, Alec, that you bring up uh, talking about like the community, because that is like the big question that I kind of wanted to bring up. Uh, so some of the people listening probably know, but a couple years ago, before you joined Blizzard, you were part of a competitive focus podcast of your own called The Golden Wisp. 
And, you know, you interacted a lot with the community, um, including giving me a coaching session way back when, uh, you know, early on. Um, and you still seem to be like very engaged with the community. So is staying engaged with the community something you wanted to do still after joining? Or did it did it just kind of seem like a natural fit to kind of become a public face for the game because of your history with the community? Uh, and sorry, this is kind of long out a couple, but what's the one of the biggest ways in which, you know, your views on the meta card design, like the competitive state of the game changed from when you were doing your podcast to actually being on the team? And do you have any advice to aspiring competitive players, whether it's something you learned before joining that just has stuck with you or something that working on the game kind of opened your eyes to? Yeah, yeah, and I still remember that coaching session, uh, Patron Warrior, I believe. Uh, yeah, back, I was like, week one of Patron Warrior. Um, that was fun. Um, yeah, I, I think engaging the community is just something I've always wanted to do because I think the Hearthstone community is pretty special. Um, it's always been a community that I feel is very warm, welcoming, and it's it's just unique to any other gaming community I've ever, I've entered, I have ever interacted with, you know? So uh, I feel like, the reason you know I make games is because I want to give back because games brought me so much joy, and you know I think obviously engaging with the community is part of that too. You know I think uh, part of my own development as a in my career as a person was through Hearthstone and it, like you know dominated my like like grad school years and, and still and still is a giant part of my life obviously. So that, that's definitely something I think is um, pretty special and I hold pretty close to my heart. Um, now moving on to, I guess, how my views changed on things. Yeah, I, I was already working in development before, so I was, you know, at least like pretty sympathetic or, you know, in terms of like if things couldn't go out in time or if like things were slow, so like, I understood how development worked. And I, I think for pro players or anyone or competitive mindset that wants to get into, you know, game development, I, I think you just got to start, you just got to start trying yourself, you know, um, or and learn what it's like to make decisions from that standpoint you know you're not just making decisions um that are going to be changed tomorrow they're, they're going to be making decisions that are gonna, you know going to affect the game for years to come and also you know there's an entire team behind you and how do your decisions you know affect your pipelines how do they fit in your pipelines things things of that nature so i think for a lot of people coming in it is kind of interesting because you know the, that magic is uh that veil is sort of the, the curtains pulled back and they see it. You know, we just had two new, new hires uh, recently, uh, uh, four control and gallon. And, and so they got to see like how everything's being made and we're going through, you know, designing a bunch of mechanics together. And, but um, yeah, I would say just, that's something you're interested in. You just gotta, you just gotta start, you know, start making some cards or start, you know, making some games somehow and uh, understand what that perspective is like. Uh, do we have any uh oh actually we do have one one last question we had one in case uh there was some time so how much fun is it being part of the 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 videos the uh expansion videos or big game change announcement videos like how like how much of a blast is that yeah it's a lot of fun (laughs) um you know there's there's a lot of personalities that we get to work with um 
like on our own team or, or some some of the streamers that we get to partner with that are just fun to be around. I think uh, one of my favorite ones that I got to do recently was uh, with Regis for Soul Fragments. And I was like, oh, this is a lot of fun. It was just like a great time to hang out. And like, you know, he was really into it too. So I thought that was a great experience. And then looking looking back on some of the previous ones, uh, the, whole, the, the team that puts them all together is all fun, you know, um, so yeah, they're always a blast. The scripts are always great. You just, we just get to laugh. Like, we're the Hearthstone team, right? I mean, I, I just, the whole time I was watching Liv and Joe's video for Origin of the Barons, I was, like, laughing myself. I was like, this is hilarious. Uh, and I, I love our brand of humor that we get to strike sometimes. That's great. That's just That's, absolutely like, wonderful. As a lot of us do, too. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so we enjoy watching <laughs> those just as much. <laughs> Thank you for for coming and 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 spending some time with us talking talking about the game. This is this was a lot of fun and uh, very insightful. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank you. you. And uh, yeah, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, nice to see y'all. And you know, and please, uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. So, yeah, let's keep in touch. We'll do. Absolutely. Right, yeah. Take thank care. you. Thank you. Wasn't that an amazing interview? I really do hope that all of you enjoyed that as much as we did, because I know we had an amazing time recording that. And, you know, just, oh, that was fun. It was so cool getting to talk to Dev. And yeah, thank you so much, Alex, for doing <laughs> that, because that was awesome. Yes, thank you. That was <laughs> such a good time. We had a really good time with it. So interesting. The, the insight that you can get uh, when you get an opportunity to, to just pick the brain of somebody that's creating like your favorite game. That, that's what this was. And, and like, there's like a million questions we could have asked. We had a short amount of time. We did the best we could to try and come up with a bunch of interesting questions that kind of covered the range of topics. And, and, and Alec just gave some really interesting answers on some of that stuff. You know, when it comes to, uh, his his Omayag card or transfer student coming from way back in Angoro. I mean, that's crazy. Some some of that stuff is just so interesting because it's like you see the front end, the finished product, the product they want you to see, but there is all this work to get it from in their heads to that final product. And and I just I I can't thank uh, you know. Chris on the on the PR team and Alec and and everybody for giving us the opportunity to to, to chat and talk and talk about this stuff. It's great. I mean, that's definitely one of the things I love about this is like everyone who's working on this game is just like so passionate and it's you can tell it by playing the game, but like when they are just basically glowing about it when they're talking about making the game, it's it's just so cool. So like. I, I just I, it's 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 so greatly appreciated and it's very humbling to let um that they would take you know their time in an evening to come come talk with us so um any anything else we want to add before we wrap this one up so this is so, so this is a special bonus episode mm -hmm. sorry and and we're going to record like normal mm -hmm. and, uh, on Tuesday. 
apparently there's a corset out now that we get to talk about. Crazy. And uh, so so we've got uh, plenty to talk about on Tuesday. So we're going to re-record like normal and put out an episode next week like we normally would. But this was such a great opportunity. And it was it was one of those things we just wanted to get out to you as quickly as we possibly could. So, uh, yeah, we definitely hope you enjoyed it. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, um, and just again, too, like, thank you to Alec and... You know, Mage kind of mentioned this, but Chris Sierra and, you know, Cynthia was also in the call, just them being there, helping put all of this together and making it a reality that and giving us the chance because, you know, it's that that was super cool. And you know, I feel like not a lot of games or spaces do stuff like this, or at least not on a, a consistent basis and really, you know, reach out to the community and give the community as many chances as this. So thank you again to them because that it feels so awesome. And like, like Darian said, humbling to be able to have that opportunity. So I hope that everybody listening felt that too. Yeah. It's just, again, it's, it's, they've been great. I've worked with Chris a few times now and he is just super, super cool and very laid back. And it's just really nice to, to see, you know, you can just, just build a rapport and just, it's very it's very nice to have such easy flow and like a community manager that wants to be involved with the community and does things for us it's just mind is blown so thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you um <laughs> so as always you can find the show on twitter at dr3hs you can email the show at dr3s at gmail.com and you can join our Discord by following our top pin tweet. And you can find myself uh, on Twitter at DaringAlkaline, all one word. And you can find me on twitch.tv forward slash DaringAlkaline. Um, Dragon Rider? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DonnieDK. That's D-A-W-N-I-E-D-K. And I'm streaming yeah, mostly on the week, but really as much as I can. Uh over at twitch.tv slash DK, And Mage, take us home. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at MageAdeath. And Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash MageAdeath. Thank you guys for tuning into a, a very special bonus episode. And as always, you've been listening to Dr. Three. Without a doubt, this is boom goes the dynamite.